The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time. Um, This is John McAndrew, of course, the guest host today. And today we're going to talk to Herb Kagan. And I want to tell you a little bit about Herb before we start here. He, uh, Herb has a book, and it's called The Twelve Steps to Spiritual Awakening. And he also has a workbook on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and how to use the big book. And we have had other guests on this show uh, from AA, and I think this is going to be a very educational uh, and very spiritual experience to talk to Herb and Herb was given the gift of freedom from alcohol in 1984, so I'm reckoning that's close to 30 years. And He was guided through the 12 steps, and in 1998 he experienced a, a profound spiritual awakening. We're going to learn about what that was. Since then, he's been carrying this message to uh, retreats and other recovering alcoholics all around the world and workshops, presentations, and he... He authored the 12-step guide to using the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book in 2004, and now this current book, which was released just a couple of years ago, 12 Steps to, to Spiritual Awakening. Uh, Herb has also been, was in the seminary and has a graduate education in psychology, 40-some year career in human resources. He's a consultant. He's completed three-year training for spiritual direction at Mount St. Mary's in L.A. and teaches courses in spirituality to theologians as an adjunct professor at St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California. And uh, Herb, this book, so that we know right off the top, you have written in here in the beginning the purpose of this book is to help all individuals find a better way of life through enlightenment, transcendence, and a personal relationship with divinity. So welcome to the show. Uh, we, at, we at Westbridge are really appreciative of you coming on today. Well, thank you. And your, your history, Herb, you've, you've kind of given away that you're not a teenager anymore <laughs> in your bio to have piled up all these experiences. And, right. Uh, I'm very curious... Um, you know, your spiritual journey, um, where are you from? And, and uh, it says here that you were given the gift of freedom from alcohol, February 21st, 1984. Maybe maybe we start a couple years before that. Well, um, I'm, I'm a corporate executive with a public international corporation. I have a leadership role. And I'm a blackout drinker. But I don't know that 
alcohol is a problem. I know it is for my wife. She's a falling down, drink every day, pass out drunk. Uh-huh. I knew she had a problem. She went into the hospital, fortunately, had the courage to face it, leave us, our three children and myself, and put herself into treatment. And uh, fortunately, I was willing to support her recovery. And in that program, fortunately, they asked me to write out my history of my relationship with alcohol. I was 43 years old. You can do the math. I'm 73. And um, I had never seen the connection between alcohol and the trouble in my life. Now, I'm reasonably intelligent and fairly well-educated, as you tell from the bio. Right. And, and yet, I never connected the dots. And in 30 minutes, writing out my little autobiography of my relationship with alcohol, it was a very laser-focused exercise, I, I began to see. I began to connect the dots. Only to the extent that I said, gee, I think I have a drinking problem. I never said I was an alcoholic or had an abuse problem or anything along that line. And fortunately, the hospital said, well, why don't you go try a meeting, a 12-step meeting? Uh And I did. And I went to that meeting over a three-week period regularly, and I would raise my hand saying, I'm Herb, uh, I'm exploring having a problem with alcohol. (laughs) Right. They And they just laughed. It was just such a welcoming spirit. And finally, I saw that I was an alcoholic, and uh, meaning that I was literally powerless over alcohol, not only when I put it in me, but when I didn't have it in me, not realizing that when I put it in me, I didn't have any control. And when I stopped, I didn't have any control that I would again put it in me. And... Um, that began the journey. And, and it's a funny way. I, you know, we've interviewed several people on this show, and uh, there seems to be uh, sort of a common thread where uh, people with this disease kind of tiptoe in sometimes, even though they're ready. Uh, I, you know, people describe being ready and of hitting, mm. of hitting their bottom, but... There seems to be sort of a reluctance. I mean, especially you. Now, you're a corporate, you're the head of a big company, and uh, you're kind of in in control. So this concept of uh, powerlessness, which you talk about in the book quite a bit, I I don't suspect that was something really easy to swallow for you. Well, uh, it it never occurred to me, (laughs) actually. (laughs) It just never occurred to me until they asked me to take a look at my experience. You see, they bypassed by my thinking because my thinking had been conditioned for control and management and superiority and to be in charge. And uh, what they asked me to do with doing this autobiography was to connect to my experience. And once I saw that, Then I saw the drama in my life. 
And it wasn't an event, this knowing. It was a process. And it, it literally took about 10 years to have a full blooming of a relationship of an experience with powerlessness. Uh-huh. In those first five years in AA, it was the drama, you know, the drunk driving arrests and the car wrecks and the problems at work and the problems at home and it blocked That's all drama of a heavy drinker. But it didn't mean that, in fact, I was powerless, but it was good enough for those first five years where I saw the drama. Mm-hmm. And then when I met somebody who understood the big book and the instructions and the examples there, he led me through a process where I saw the doctor's opinion about having an allergy. And once I put alcohol in my system, the allergy kicked in and I craved more. And I could relate to that because I had an allergy to strawberries. If I ate strawberries, I would break out in red lumps. I saw that when I drank alcohol, I would break out drunk or blackout or embarrassment or in jail. Hmm. Periodically. It didn't happen every time. I think for the periodic alcoholic, in contrast to the chronic alcoholic, it's much more difficult because you don't see the connection because it doesn't happen every time. Oh, you can drink I see. with impunity regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah? You were going to say something. Well, so, you know, you're, you were drawn in, and, and you speak about um, as a result of being guided through the 12 steps, and we can get into those a little bit later. Uh, sure. In 1998, you you experienced a profound spiritual awakening, and um, and I'm assuming what it says here that's a result of of this program. And I think that's this is really the basis for why you started to share this. But what happened after those? It took you 14 years. Why and well, how? actually, it was 1988. It was it was four oh. or five years. Okay. Um, and that's when I met this man who led me through the steps in a very precise way, like a teacher, like a mentor, like a a guide. And that's when I had my spiritual awakening. And that's not fancy. I mean, that's the term the big book gives it for the change in us that takes place that we cannot do on our own. As you mentioned, I have a uh, graduate education in philosophy and theology and and psychology and uh, an advocate of uh, self-help efforts, seminars, workshops, weekends, books. But none of that had ever touched me, really. And then I went through this process at five years sober, and I was changed. Hear my vocabulary, though. I was changed. Oh, I submitted to the work, and it was a lot of work, but the results were disproportionately positive, disproportionately bigger than my contribution. And I began to be aware that I now was I had a sense of ease and comfort, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of self-esteem that I'd never had before. And, And because I had that, was aware of it, and 
had been given the rigor of a very precise process, I began to share that with other people when they asked me, so what happened to you, Herb? I mean, you've really been mm-hmm. changed. Mm-hmm. And I would share it, and eventually a group of women got together and asked me to do a workshop because they knew I didn't work one-on-one with women. That's the suggestion from years of experience in the program. And... Mm-hmm. um I said, well, I'll do a workshop. And that was 1996, 98 that you were referring to. And uh, as a result of preparing for that and doing that over years, my two books developed. Okay. This spiritual yeah. awakening, I was going to ask you, how does, for people that haven't had one yeah. or are kind of scared by what that. Right. means uh you know do you wake up one morning and all of a sudden no. of course what's interesting here and we've had doctors on the show who are in recovery and i find it very interesting when someone such as a doctor or yourself uh with knowledge of psychology and and how our brain works and it sounds very right. much like we had another guest on our show talked about cognitive behavioral therapy and changing mm-hmm. the way we think now, yes. is this all a piece of what happened to you in those first four years? Yes. Did you just wake up? Uh, not the first not the first four years. I think what happened to me, is, and I'm not clinically trained at all, but what happened to me as I look back over my shoulder in retrospect is that I uh-huh. it took four years for me to really thaw out, to go to a meeting every day, to call a sponsor every day, to begin to get honest and transparent in my communication with that sponsor, um, but my behavior didn't change. I was still doing the things that I had been doing when I was, in fact, drinking. I just was sober doing them. Yeah. And it never occurred to me to have integrity, to have personal honesty. I'm talking about financial honesty. It never occurred to me to have fidelity, to to be uh, a simple and human. It never occurred to me, despite all of my background and training. I mean, you, you said the seminary. I was in the, a monastery for seven years, wow. from 17 to 24. You'd think I'd know something about spirituality and how to be a decent human being. And I we're did. talking, I we're talking to Herb Kagan about his book, and, and we're, we've started his journey uh from the gift of freedom he describes from alcohol in 1984 to his spiritual experience. When we come back, we're going to continue this journey as he goes out and starts to share this experience with other folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter, and migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. We've been speaking with Herb Kagan and talking about his book, um, 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening. And before we go any farther, I want to give you a website where you can go, even follow along while, you, while we're doing the show or go later. It's www.herbk.com, H-E-R-B-K.com. And uh, you can see... Uh, some of the things Herb is doing around the country and his teaching and, uh, and groups that he does and, and how to get these, these books, of course. And Herb, we, we were talking about your journey and the beginnings and uh, the fact that uh, you thought your wife had a problem with alcohol, which brought you in sort of in the door, and then you started to look mm-hmm. at your own right. uh, alcoholism, which is... <laughs> A pretty interesting story, and I think a lot of people would smile at that. And and then your first four or five years working these steps, and the the book starts off, and I just want to read this out of your book because it's something that um, I don't think I've seen before or heard anybody share, and it's called the Persian proverb. It says, "He who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool. Shun him." He who knows not and knows that he knows not is a child. Teach him. He who knows and knows not that he knows is asleep. Wake him. And finally, he who knows and knows that he knows is wise. Follow him. And why did you put that in the front of the book? It's obviously very important to you. It's totally my experience. With all my background, I did not know that I did not know until I began to thaw out and wake up and see that I didn't know and then continue to follow the path to wake up and then know that I know in such a way that I see that as a gift and I want to help other people then wake up 
Gurdjieff is a Russian philosopher, and he said, humans are asleep dreaming that they're awake. And that's clearly my experience. And that's why spiritual awakening is so important as the goal of the 12th step. It says right there in the 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Well, that's not poetry. That's an observation of fact. This is the promise. This is the warranty. This is, in fact, what will happen if you do the first 11 steps. You will wake up. And it doesn't matter whether you're religious or not, and it doesn't matter, quite frankly, if you're spiritual or not. It's almost a psychological, human methodological process that will work no matter what you think, no matter what you believe, as long as you do it. It's counterintuitive. Normally, we like to think something and know something, and then we like to feel good about it, and then we'll do it. But the wisdom of true spirituality, of true conversion or transformation, and certainly of the 12-step spirituality rooms, is that it doesn't matter what you know, and it doesn't matter how you feel. It does matter what you do. And when sort you of, do uh, differently... Yeah, you I was, you know, personally, you I was raised in the Catholic religion, and it was more about what you believed. Of course, I struggled yep. with what I believed and what I did, and and yeah. I think I understand that difference between thinking and, well, um, you know, the Christian religion has the term faith without works is dead. and uh, Right, yeah. Um, you know, in the beginning of the book, you say sometime in the spring of 2005, you read Eric Fromm's book, The Art of Loving, and... And all of a right. sudden, you're, you're up at 2 o'clock in the morning with an overwhelming <laughs> urge to start writing. And this is yeah. when you started to yeah. write this guide. So what was, what was that yeah. experience about? Because you admit in here that you've tried many spiritual paths. Yes. And so yes, why, did this, why did this one priest, work? And I've, I've studied uh, Buddhism, and I've studied comparative religion, and nothing has touched me the way this process has touched me and um, that experience was uh, remarkable and that's why I, I put it in the book and that is that at two in the morning I woke up I had read Eric Fromm's book The Art of Loving and finished it probably for the third time and the muse was on me and it just the outline of the book just poured out over the next six hours, and it took another few years for me to wordsmith it into its current shape, but that was the beginning of that, and even my first book was a product of my workshops, and I went on a retreat at the monastery that Merton lived at in Gethsemane, a Trappist monastery, and I took my notes and I spent 10 days there. And the book just flowed out of me there. It wasn't like an effort. It just came from my experience and from some kind of direction. And you've been doing workshops at this time for many years. Um, I can't exactly put About a number. About 20 years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At this time, for the the 12-step guide, though, you've been doing it for at least uh, 13, 14 years. Oh, yes. So mm -hmm. this really comes from experience, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. And, it, and my workshops started out for a select 12-step group. 
But then as I got experience and as the community began hearing about the transformation that was happening to the attendees, other 12-step groups started asking me to come and, you know, in prayer and meditation, uh, I reread the big book and it suggests right in the beginning of the first edition, our way of living may have its advantages for all. And so eventually I opened it up not only to 12-step people, but to anybody who wants a spiritual awakening using this methodology. So uh, probably 10% of the people in my workshop come from the local community and the churches. You uh, will kind of start this path into the steps. And in the book, you have some definitions of spiritual awakening, which you call the process, a slow change in the yes. way we think, feel, and behave that is done to us, not by us. See, that's yeah. done to us. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Not, and then spirituality, enlightenment, and loving service. And immediately following that, let's just kind of start with the historical perspective of these steps that you took for your spiritual awakening as sure. in regards to the Oxford group. Now, yeah. many people, I think, who, who are uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous may know this, may know these things, and some of them may not. I don't know, but I think it's good mm. that they're in this book for a purpose. So mm-hmm. why did you put the Oxford group origins in here? Maybe explain that to the listeners. Well, it, it's to me it's really impressive synchronicity to use the highfalutin words mm-hmm. I think Carl Jung used and because he has been called by Bill Wilson the spiritual father of Alcoholics Anonymous because he was the first one to work with an alcoholic and to admit that a psychiatrist and his whole profession has never been successful in any major way with alcoholics. And he said, you have to go find a spiritual experience. And uh, Roland Hazard, that fellow, said, oh, good, I'll go back to church. And I wasn't there, but I can imagine Carl Jung saying, young man, you're not listening. (laughs) I didn't say organized religion. I said, find a spiritual experience. And fortunately, when he went back to New York and was chatting with his parents, they were aware of the Oxford group. And so this is a first century Christianity group created by Frank Bookman, a Lutheran, because he said to his leadership in his church, he says, you know, this thing isn't working. People are not changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's, let's think about what, what, were, what were the people doing within the first 50 years after Christ died. Well, let's see, they were meeting in people's homes, they were reading the Hebrew scripture, because the Christian scripture hadn't been written yet, they were meditating, they were asking for guidance, they were sharing their guidance, and then they tried to help others in the community. He said, Frank Bookman said, this is a Lutheran minister, 1920-25, he said, the group said, well, why don't we just do that? That's the Oxford group, creating first century Christianity. And uh, Roland Hazard found the group that had six steps in their methodology, to the best of my understanding. They may not have been codified that way, but they had a definite process, not geared to alcoholics. They didn't even like alcoholics. Mm-hmm. But it was about evangelization and Christian transformation. And despite that, 
that wasn't Roland Hazard's motive. His alcohol problem was removed, and he then carried that message of the removal of alcohol and solving his problem to Ebby Thatcher, who was a fellow, a fellow millionaire of the blue blood stock of the East Coast. Right. And uh, once Ebby had his experience over a two-month period of getting free from alcohol, he carried the message to Bill Wilson. You mentioned, and of course, Bill Wilson you joined the Oxford the, Group. The six steps, um, complete deflation, one, yeah. two, dependence on and guidance from God, three, moral inventory, four, confession, five, restitution, and six, continued work with others. And as I go back farther in the book, and we'll get into this in the next section, but that looks very similar to the 12 steps that you talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. Is that, is that well, fair? It's totally. I mean, there, that, that is the sort of the womb from uh-huh. which the 12 steps came. Bill Wilson worked those six steps. Anybody who has a big book, look on page 13 in Bill's story. He talks about in his second day of hospitalization, my God, he's still detoxing. Ebby Thatcher's there taking him through the Oxford Group steps. And then on the next page, 14, Bill has his spiritual mountaintop mystical experience. Right. So Bill yeah. and uh, Dr. Bob got together. And really the end of the Oxford Group and the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous begins uh, when this book comes out uh, you know, the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. And when we come back, I think we'll let you pick up on, uh, from that point on, on the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and these 12 steps. And uh, the book leads, leads us through this very, very nicely. And I, and I don't want to forget to talk about Bill Schumacher's poem, which you've put in here, which is about sponsorship you say it's called i stand by the door and we come back we're going to talk uh, some more with our guests you're listening to voice america health and wellness Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. You read about it in health news every day. Cancer rates are going up. Obesity in the U.S. is on the rise. Heart disease and diabetes are top killers every year. We can follow the advice of our doctor, but cravings persist. Weight goes up and energy is still down. It doesn't have to be like this. Tune in for Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. You'll learn how you can work with your body to feel better and look better, too. Body Balance Talk airs live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time with Mary Woods and I, of course, and John McAndrew, the guest host. And uh, we've been talking with Herb Kagan about his book, 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening. And uh, in our last break, we, uh, before we cut, we were talking about uh, the Oxford Group origins. And Herb used the term sort of the womb of Alcoholics Anonymous with these very simple six concepts from first century Christianity. Uh, complete deflation, dependence on guidance from God, moral inventory, confession, restitution, and continued work with others. Um, we had another guest on the show who encap- encapsulated the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous as trust God, clean house, and help others. And I had asked Herb if it was fair to say, you know, that's pretty much the same thing. And, of course, he did. And before we go to the first chapter, Herb, I want to tell our listeners about the poem that you put in called I Stand by the Door. Mm-hmm. And it's by Samuel Schumacher. And it's written around 1929 because they're not really sure. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's for one of the 400 really good reasons to purchase this book and to share in all this is to see this poem. Uh, I read it. It's very long. We can't read it uh, on the air. But basically, how would you encapsulate what Sam said? Sam Shoemaker was an Episcopal priest who took over the leadership of the Oxford group Mm -hmm. from Frank Bookman and uh, just was a wonderfully spiritual man. And uh, this poem reflects the true humility of the spiritual servant. And that is that I will make sure everybody else gets taken care of before I take care of myself. Very, very parallel to the concept in Buddhism of the Bodhisattva, that the Bodhisattva will not accept enlightenment until everybody else is enlightened and that Bodhisattva is going to spend their life attempting to help everybody get enlightened and won't accept it themselves until everybody has it. That's the spirit of the Shoemaker poem. I stand by the door. I'm not going to go into heaven until everybody else is there. Yeah. The, The last lines is, So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. So I stand by the door, just making sure that everyone has a chance to share in this. And you mentioned sponsorship, and I guess we can get into that a little bit later. But So the book starts now with the chapter. It says, Asleep in the Beginning, Separation, and Brokenness. And it goes, of course, from asleep to awake. And Could you describe those two little chapters for us? Well, each of the chapters is 
connected to each of the 12 steps. So chapter one, of course, is about step one. And it's my experience of a 10-year journey, process, not event, to experience no choice. I didn't have a choice if I didn't know I had alternatives. Mm -hmm. So I drank. And coming into AA, I didn't know that I didn't know about powerlessness until I did by looking at the doctor's opinion and seeing the allergy concept. And then three years later, looking at the step process again and having a different guide with a different light and a different experience and showed me the obsession and my mental deficiency that I lived in a strange mental blank spot. Not only am I biologically deficient in terms of my body, but I'm psychologically deficient in terms of my mind. Powerless, no choice. If I don't have the alternatives, I can't make a choice. And then three years later, going through the process again with a different guide and a different light and a different experience. And he showed me the real nature of unmanageability, that second half of the first step, which I believe is really misunderstood and not addressed very deeply at all in the rooms. And I think might be the single most reason that we have relapse. The big book suggests that we have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the real understanding of unmanageability tells us why that's so. Unmanageability is that my will is not free on my own power. St. Paul captured that in his own Christian scripture in one of the letters. He says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. And he was totally frustrated by that condition. Which, which Bill captured in the term unmanageability, and he refers in the text to spiritual malady. I'm selfish and self-centered, and that's the human condition. That's not just the addict's condition. It's the human condition. Take a look, take a look around us, right? Mm-hmm. At the world condition and, the, and all of the noise and negative stuff that's happening in the world. And it's all about each little human being trying to fill the hole in their soul, perhaps with alcohol or drugs, perhaps with food or sex or power or prestige or adulation or recognition or money or whatever. And uh, Blaise Pascal said it the best, the hole in us is in the shape of God. The hole in us is in the shape of God. I didn't know that, and I didn't pursue that, even though I was in a monastery pursuing spirituality, Allah, that tradition. Right. I didn't. I didn't have the the identification of the nature of the thirst, and that was where we left off with Carl Jung. He said, oh, "Most alcoholics are pretty spiritual people, but they go for the spirits." rather than the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, so, he wrote a letter to Bill Wilson, and yeah. at the end of the letter he said, in Latin, spiritus contra spiritum. 
The spirit, spiritus, with a capital S, is the antidote to spirits with the small s. Uh, very powerful. No, no, it is powerful. That's right. That's why I love, you asked about the history. That's why yeah. I love the history. The confluence that just is not possible to happen is, in fact, what happened. Carl, so we go, we go from being asleep in the book to awakening. Yep. And you use the term seeking healing, instruction, and action. And that's when you start to go into the steps. And the first step, you said the second half, so I had to go read what that is. <laughs> first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives mm-hmm. had become unmanageable. That's so that it's about powerlessness, and mm-hmm. you really go into a lot of detail mm-hmm. in this first chapter. Tell, tell us some more. Well, the, the, the big book process, as I experienced it for step one, constitutes about 35% of the instructions. That might tell you how important it is. It's the foundation. Bill uses an architectural analogy of a foundation upon which we're building a spiritual arch through which we're going to walk to a new freedom. Step one is the foundation. Step two is the key is the cornerstone he says and step 3 is the keystone and then by you get the time you get to step 5 he says you've walked through the arch to the new freedom this is the rite of passage this is where western culture really especially for male initiation is really missing out and and we get the form in the fraternities we get the form in terms of the military we get forms in different kinds of quote symbolic initiation rites, but boy, my, my sense of initiation is those first five steps into maturity, into spirituality, into emotional sobriety, into true humanity. Boy, press my button, I can just go off, huh? Well, so one, two, and three are very, very important. If you were talking to, uh, let's say, a new fellow that just came in, how would yes. you explain that to a new person? Oh, How my. important that very simply. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just very simply. And uh, it, it depends on their level of addiction, their level of personal and emotional maturity or competence. But at the very least, I would suggest that they don't drink if they can and that they go to a meeting a day for the first 90 days. And the research is sort of in, I think, I'm, as I'm not a researcher or a clinician, but I've heard that mm, alcohol stays in the body, in the biochemistry for at least 90 days, um, even though you're not drinking, you're processing it out. So that original wisdom of 90 and 90 is, is probably a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. So you talk about... The first step, uh, you know, name the disease or your brokenness. Mm-hmm. The second step is name the healer. Well, and yeah. this is where we, Bill had this silver bullet given to him by Ebby. When Ebby knocked on his door, Bill's drunk, Ebby's sober. Bill opens the door expecting to have a drinking partner for the night. And uh, and he sees that Ebby's sober, and he goes, how did that happen? And Ebby says, I got religion. And, of course, Bill stepped back aghast, and he said, well, you're brighter than that for sure. And uh, Ebby said, relax, Bill. 
relax. I'm free of alcohol for two months because I have done a certain process and achieved a certain relationship with God. But you can choose your own concept. I'm not going to give you one. You need to find one. See, we have no dogma. We have no orthodoxy. We have no theology. It's not about what you think or know. It's about what you do. And, uh, and that's the basis of the, of the entire 12-step process, mm-hmm. is higher power or God as you understand it. You have, some ref- you have some questions as you summarize the chapters, and yes. I encourage anybody uh, that's interested in this. And as you say, in the purpose of the book, it's for all people. Um, yes. There's some really but, good questions. This is really a good book to work from, and you, and you give some homework, if that's, I don't know, the right word. It is. But, it um, is. Assignments. <laughs> yeah, so you have some reflective questions, which obviously... Mm-hmm. You must have had yourself, you know. What qualities, attributes do I need God to have? How does my current belief influence the way I behave? Uh, Many, many questions. That's a critical question there. Uh, And I I would like to sort of highlight that question. Because that was the one at 10 years of sobriety broke open my own agnosticism. That question. First, he asked me, what do you believe? And I wrote out this nice little treatise. A week later, when I read it to him, this guide who had experience and knew that I didn't know, he gave me the second half of the question. The first half was, what do you actually believe? Which I wrote out. Then he said a week later, and how do you behave in light of what you believe you believe? Wow. And once I began writing out how I behaved, my self-reliance, my lack of meditation consistency, my inability to live according to spiritual principles in any consistent manner, I saw that, in fact, I didn't have an effective or authentic relationship with the mystery, that I, in fact was kind of a practical agnostic. I behaved as if there was no God. I thought, I talked as if there was, uh-huh. but I didn't act as if I believed it. And so I came to the realization that my head may lie to me in a delusional way, but my feet never will. If I want to know the truth about me, Look how I'm walking. Look how I'm behaving. Because how I behave is who I am. Herb, when we come back, we'll take a break here. We're going to continue with this talk because it's very important, going from that word agnostic to actually having a relationship and how that fuels this spiritual awakening you're talking about. This We're talking to Herb, and uh, we'll be right back. We're talking about his book, 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening, Enlightenment for Everyone. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody, to our last segment we've been talking with. Uh, Herb Kagan, and Herb is talking about his book, 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening, Enlightenment for Everyone. And it's available at Herb's website, which is www.herbk.com. That's H-E-R-B-K.com. And Herb does, I'm pretty sure, Herb, we can find uh, where you're doing presentations or workshops on that website. Is that true? Yes, anything uh, major in terms of half-day, day, or retreats um, will be on the work, on the website, but people could also email me if they're interested in some local works that I don't consider to be as substantive, so I don't put them on the web. Okay, and if someone wanted to inquire about you coming to do a presentation, they can contact you there, or, or is there a better yes. way to contact you personally? Uh, my uh, email uh, mm-hmm. is the best way to make contact. Uh, it would be herbk12 at hotmail.com. Herbk12, the number 12, at hotmail.com. Very good. So when we left, we were talking about, you talked about, you mentioned the word agnostic, which, you know, raises a big uh, noise with a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of people felt the same way you did, but you talk about step one, two, and three, and now mm-hmm. in this third step and beyond, uh, which you talk about in the book, as to how to practice and have this relationship with that higher power, and I believe this takes us through some more steps, doesn't it? Sure. Well, yeah. and, and the agnostic just means that I didn't know. You didn't know. It, it 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 was a practical doubt, and um, 
I, I, I experienced that my concept of God, all the training and the knowledge, was the very impediment to my relationship with the mystery. And once I was able to open, have my mind and my heart opened, I try to keep my vocabulary in a way of gift and grace, then I was able to approach it more humbly and do steps four through seven more effectively and deeply, looking at what were the impediments to that relationship in myself. And steps eight through ten, do them more deeply and, uh, uh, and rigorously, removing the impediments in me to my relationships with other people and repairing that damage. My favorite analogy is a dimmer switch. The difference between a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening is the difference between a light switch on and off, boom, an event, or a dimmer switch that goes on at a very low voltage and then gets turned up one notch at a time. Oh, wow. My experience is a spiritual awakening is a dimmer switch, and it's on an infinite dial. I'm more awake today than I was yesterday. And I'll be more awake tomorrow than I am today, but I won't see that today until tomorrow. The big book in Step 10 says, this is our way of life. We have entered the world of the Spirit. We have established a relationship with the mystery in Steps 1 through 3. We've established or reestablished a relationship with ourselves in Steps 4 through 7 and with others in Steps 8 through 10. And we maintain but also grow that relationship with the mystery with ourselves and with others in, in the commitment to steps uh, 10, inventory, step 11, meditation, and step 12, basically the wisdom step of compassionate service. Mm-hmm. So and step, it, and four, very step four said, and seven are in the book. Say it again. Um, uh, one could read into this that this is sort of the meat and potatoes, and you talked about Mm-hmm. Um, in our culture, we have fraternities, we have mm-hmm. other rites of passage, but you describe mm-hmm. four and five as being a very important rite of passage. And, uh, you oh, know, yes. from the reading in here, it's about looking at mm-hmm. who you are, is that fair to say? Oh, who you really are. Who you but really are. especially who you're really not. <laughs> Mm, right, because most of us, most of us, and I would say all of us, except I don't want to include 100%, most of us have built a Hollywood storefront, a persona, a mask, that we don't know is a mask. We call it ourself. But it's really what Carl Jung called the, the, the shadow self, or what current psychology calls the false self. It's just a mask that we've created from our attempt to survive our family of origin in our early childhood and our adulthood experiences. And, and it's been wonderfully protective until it's like alcohol. It was wonderful in the beginning, but then it was a boomerang. Mm-hmm. The mask is a good protector until it is a jail. And so you talk about cleaning that out or looking at, yeah. and there's uh you know, there's examples where people can follow along on how to do this four-step yeah. inventory. And then, and then you tell another human being, which involves God, 
again by telling that human being, you know, all about you, sort of mm-hmm. lightens that load. And then can you explain step six and seven? Uh, you know, they're the, they're the simplest steps in the big book, just a couple paragraphs. There's a couple chapters in the 12 and 12, which are wonderful commentaries. Um, but as simple as it gets, step six is about listing the character defects that you saw as you did your complete inventory, an analysis of your resentments, an analysis of your fears, an analysis of your sex behavior, an analysis of your dishonesty, and a complete revelation of all your secrets. Not an easy process, but the Oxford group called this soul surgery. Wow, soul surgery. Soul surgery to remove the cancer, the spiritual malady, from our deepest parts so that, in fact, the mask can be dissolved and the real person can emerge. You know, Herb, our time has run out. We could probably do another show. Um, I would love to at any time. As you can tell, you just have to press a little button and it's pretty easily exposed. Well, I think uh, I can speak for many, many people who are very grateful for you sharing your experience. This enlightenment is for everyone. 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening. Herb's book is available at www.herbk.com. And again, everyone at Westbridge, thanks you very much for sharing, for sharing your knowledge and for being that person that's uh, standing at the door and letting us all, making sure we all get in. Again, Herb, uh, we thank you and... For all the listeners, please keep tuning in to One Hour at a Time. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One Hour at a Time. We'll see you next week.